This Cosmos Live series, Preparing for Profound Change, is made possible by Immediacy, leading creators of educational media for learners of all ages, everywhere. And by Cosmos Community, dedicated supporters of the Cosmos mission, transformation in harmony with all life. Visit cosmosjournal.org to learn more. This is Cosmos Live, and I'm your host, Rhonda Fabian. We are at that point. Uh, we have to decide whether we evolve to the next stage of human evolution um, uh, through conscious evolution. But unless we consciously embark on our evolution, uh, we are not going to take the right choice at the fork in the road. It's very urgent that we do. That's Dr. Deepak Chopra, founder of the Chopra Foundation and the Chopra Center for Well-Being. He's a world-renowned pioneer in integrative medicine and personal transformation. Dr. Chopra is board certified in internal medicine, endocrinology, and metabolism, and is a fellow of the American College of Physicians. He's recognized as a prolific author of more than 85 books, translated into over 43 languages, with 25 New York Times bestsellers, including You Are the Universe. Welcome to Cosmos Live, Dr. Chopra. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be with you. Dr. Chopra, we seem to be getting better at some things and worse at others. Before we get to the worst part, is there anything we are doing as a species that is helping us to be healthier and happier? We are beginning to see interest now in um, uh, how our biology works um, holistically, how mind, brain, body, gene activity are all um, a unified process. And that is hopefully leading to a new integration of the scientific method with uh, what we call lifestyle intervention and an integrative approach, which includes simple things like um, restful sleep, meditation, uh, stress management, um, uh, conscious communication, healthy emotions, the role of mind-body integration through yoga and breathing, uh, movement, um, nutrition, and how to reset your biological clock through uh, getting um, grounded with nature and and um, harmonizing your biological rhythms with the rhythms of the cosmos. As we learn more about the body as a process, and I believe it's a process in consciousness, then um, we are moving in the right direction for the future. That's encouraging because on the other hand, it appears we're really damaging our planet and some of our Worst instincts are showing up at the wrong time. My own millennial children describe feelings of tender grief for the world. Are their feelings justified? Yes, I think so. I mean, we have never seen uh, such a magnitude of uh, destruction in the world. Um, uh, human beings have been violent all along their evolution. 
but now we have uh, modern capacities and technologies that can result in our extinction. Um, you know, you need one mistake uh, with um, a computer to uh, technically even set off a nuclear explosion. Mm. So the c- capacities we have, um, technology uh, and its destructive capacities for mechanized death combined with a very barbaric, primitive, medieval uh, mindset is um, is definitely a cause for great concern. We are living on a planet where there is a lot of eco-destruction, where the food chain has been poisoned by uh, petroleum products and all kinds of other uh, chemicals and antibiotics and hormones and uh, inflammatory products, and where um, uh, there is... Um, uh, extinction of many species, and now the risking of our own extinction, climate change, uh, extreme um, social and economic disparities. All this uh, bodes for a cataclysmic, uh, possible catastrophic extinction event. Do you think that the state we're in is somehow mirroring our collective unrest? I think the collective uh, consciousness is definitely uh, reflecting fear, anxiety, anger, hostility, rage, inflammation, resentment, grievances, and um, separation. There's no question about that. And uh, what we see is um, the world situation is uh, definitely a reflection of the chaos and turbulence and disconnect in our collective consciousness, for sure. Thank you. Um, The title of your new book, You Are the Universe, Discovering Your Cosmic Self and Why It Matters, suggests that uh, collective reality informs our obligations and duties as human. Is spiritual health a moral responsibility? And if so, why? Spiritual uh, health is, uh, I think, an evolutionary outcome in some people, um, that um, it's a natural part of our evolution. In the past, um, it was um, confined to a few luminaries, we can name them, and, you know, just a handful of names, or maybe a few dozen names, um, from the um, Greek philosophers to the sages of the Upanishads to um, Eastern wisdom traditions. Um, we read about them and we romanticize about them, but there weren't that many. And uh, they influenced um, culture and they influenced philosophy. But for the most part, the history of humanity has been barbaric and violent and and um, not much to be proud of. Um, that's the entire history of um, kingdoms and monarchs and colonial eras. And, you know, it was all romanticized in the name of king and queen, but it was rape and destruction and pillage. Same thing with India. We tend to... Re- 
romanticized because of the luminaries of the Upanishads, but that definitely did not apply to the larger population. I think the situation hasn't changed. It's mostly, you know, um, what do you call um, uh, the same story, except with uh, media and social <laughs> networks and everybody bringing it to our attention and news bringing it to our attention. What we do have now is the opportunity, though, um, that um, because we can connect so easily and this information can disseminate so fast, that there's a possibility of, uh, if there's a collective will, of creating a, a critical mass of um, what can be called awakening to consciousness. And that might be our only hope. Do you mean like a shared morality? Morality as a social norm cannot be imposed. Or, you know, self-righteous morality just becomes a kind of hypocrisy. People don't follow rules and regulations. Uh, true morality can only come from um, evolution of consciousness, which happens when it happens. I guess, Dr. Chopra, my question is, can it happen before we manage to destroy ourselves? Well, I don't know. I mean, when the dinosaurs went extinct, we emerged, and that was a a cataclysmic event 65 million years ago when when a meteorite fell on planet Earth and caused the equivalent of a nuclear explosion or more. So if the human experiment fails, something better might emerge. Are you saying that humans are non-essential to the story of creation? It's not very optimistic. One has to be realistic. And mood-making is a big danger, um, especially in spiritual circles. You pretend to be positive when you're feeling miserable. You have to be realistic, and what you have to do is you have to take, um, you have to practice. You have to uh, have um, uh, a discipline, a spiritual discipline of self-reflection, which is asking yourself meaningful questions like, who am I? What do I want? What is the purpose and meaning of existence? What is my contribution? What is my story? Can we have a different story? What does a good relationship mean? What does a friendship mean? Who are the role models in history, mythology, religion that we can look up to? What are your unique skills? Are unique skills and talents, and how do we uh, use them to the service of humanity? I think enlarging the conversation, reflective self-inquiry, the practice of transcendence, focusing on healing, um, healthy emotions like love, compassion, joy, equanimity. Um, If uh, there is a collective movement in the world around this, with conversations that are happening in social media, which is right now mostly trolls, conversations in social media, conversations in the Um, in the press, conversation in educational institutions, uh, teaching self-awareness to children in schools, uh, turning entertainment in the direction 
where it um, explores the mystery of existence. It has to be a very big collective effort to understand the nature of reality. You're listening to Cosmos Live, made possible by Cosmos Community, dedicated members who support Cosmos in numerous ways. My guest is Dr. Deepak Chopra. The Huffington Post Global Internet Survey ranked Dr. Chopra as the number one most influential thinker in medicine. In some ways, hasn't self-absorption, as opposed to self-awareness, been our downfall, Dr. Chopra? That which we call the universe, that which humans call the universe, uh, is a human construct. Um, Body, mind, universe are human constructs for modes of knowing and experiencing consciousness, and that too in human consciousness. So no dog knows it's called a dog. No giraffe knows it's called a giraffe. Once we started to use labels and language and descriptions to explain experiences and tell stories, then that story manifested as the human universe, but it also made us extremely powerful um, in, um, in evolution. So we became a permanently victorious species and a permanently victorious species uh, disturbs the ecosystem, which is a very delicate, uh, fine-tuned, uh, balanced, um, organic um, uh, system um, of life. And so a permanently victorious species risks its own extinction. And we are at that point. Uh, we have to decide whether we evolve to the next stage of human evolution um, uh, through conscious evolution. But unless we consciously embark on our evolution, uh, we are um, not going to take the right choice of the fork in the road. It's very urgent that we do. Some say science will save us. You're an accomplished medical doctor. What do you think? Science is way behind. Science, is, you know, most scientists think that they're um, uh, finding, uh, you know, that their science is a methodology for knowing the truth. But science is just another system of thought. And science is based on something called subject-object split, which um, basically uh, separates the science scientist from the world that he or she is looking at. That subject-object split is artificial. It's not real. So science, by its very nature, um, does not um, look at the consciousness in which science is an activity. What came before, science or consciousness? Obviously, it's very obvious that science is one method of inquiry in consciousness a system of thought, just like philosophy or theology or religion. Systems of thought, even scientific systems of thought, have no, no privileged position to know the truth. No system of thought can get us there. Science cannot get us there. Only, only uh, transcendence and uh, inquiry, a very direct inquiry into the nature of consciousness, which is done through uh, spiritual practices, whether it's uh, 
self-reflection, self-inquiry, awareness of mind space, awareness of the web of relationship, awareness of body, awareness of, um, of uh, sensory experience, uh, conscious awareness of choice making. These are the ways that people will transform. I don't think through science uh, we will ever transform. Hasn't science saved lives and improved the quality of life for billions? Uh, science is, um, is a double-edged sword. It's both divine and diabolical. It can destroy the world, but it can also repair the world if, if our emotional and spiritual evolution keep pace with the, uh, with the progress that science makes. But there's a disconnect. The scientists um, are not interested in self-awareness or not even, uh, don't even ask who's doing the science. What is it that uh, knows the experience uh, of mind, body, universe? What is experience? What is, what is, what is the experience of doing science itself? You know, the Science doesn't talk about experience. Science only talks about that which is observed and the mechanisms of that which is observed. Never asks who's observing and why. As a student of Buddhism, I understand what it means to say that I'm not my mind or I'm not my body. But I'm curious, why do you think that we have the experience of mind and body? Why, why has the universe manifested in such a way that that we have that experience? In the deeper reality, there's no mind, there's no body, there's no universe. What you call the mind um, is a human construct for an experience that is thought, emotion, and imagination. These are modified forms of consciousness. They're activities of consciousness. So consciousness um, experiences itself as thoughts, images, and emotions. Consciousness also experiences itself through perceptions, and uh, those perceptions and sensations are labeled body and, and universe by human beings. But in fact, there is only consciousness modifying itself into sensations, images, feelings, thoughts, and perceptions. In other words, um, there's only consciousness. There's nothing else. The rest is a human construct, mind, body, universe. Once you create those constructs, then you also create constructs of birth and death and ego and all these things. In the deeper reality, all there is is consciousness. Now that, to awaken to that, is actually uh, complete freedom to create your personal reality. Now, collective reality can only be changed when enough people awaken to the fundamental ground of all existence and realize that consciousness is the ontological primitive. We made up the rest. It's a, the rest is a story. When I when I, you know, point to an object like a shoe or, or a hand or a tree, I ask people, what is that? And obviously they say that, that's a hand, that's a shoe, that's a tree. 
But again, that those are learned perceptions. You know, if we, no baby would be able to call that a shoe or a tree or a hand or a body or a tree. Um, those labels are constructs given to very fundamental raw experience, color, shape, form, sound, texture, taste, smell, and then the interpretation of that as thought and feeling, and then the imagination that comes out of that. So once we come to that very, very fundamental knowing that all there is in consciousness, that it's infinitely malleable, that the entire universe, anything that has a name or a form, anything that has a name or a form, doesn't matter, we call it a subatomic particle, a gluon, a quark, or a galaxy, or a tree, or a human body, or a giraffe, anything that has a name or a form is a human construct for a mode of knowing and experience of consciousness as that particular experience. And so once you know that, that, you know, we created the universe through these constructs, then um, we can evolve to the next stage, knowing that consciousness is infinitely malleable. There are realms of existence to explore that are beyond uh, people's imagination most of the time because their imagination is already constricted by their constructs, by their labels, by their beliefs, by their analysis, by the centuries and centuries in conditioning. I would wager that nobody has an original thought. It's just recycled uh, over thousands of years. And so um, when your mind is conditioned by culture, by by religion, by um, philosophy, by science, by theology, then your very language and your thinking and your behavior reflects that conditioning. So um, unless we break out of that conditioned mind to understand consciousness as fundamental and all there is, uh, infinitely creative, infinitely um, infinite capacity to evolve, infinite... Uh, capacity to love, infinite capacity to create, uh, that is the task we have. Then we will evolve from human to meta-human. You know, I wonder if some listeners feel um, it's difficult to to completely grasp because we are humans. We do have an experience of being human. Um, we, we see life as uh, a gift. Um, that we're able to see, smell, hear, that we are able to love, um, as you say, and also to have an experience of beauty um, of the soul. Um, is there something about be, being uniquely human that's that's somehow apart or different than pure consciousness? We call ourselves homo sapiens, which means the wise ones. Uh, and then we gave labels to every other species. These are our constructs. We came up with that. So, um, yes, uh, by collective agreement, we can say that we're all having a human experience, but the human experience hasn't done much, right? It's uh, created a unjust world. It's created violence. It's created mechanized death. It's created nuclear weapons. It's caused the extinction of species. 
So um, I think if we are totally honest, then we must, um, first of all, um, be willing to question everything that's been said and not recycle the conditioning, whether it's uh, religious or spiritual. We are non-local beings, and we are having a local experience, and we have a capacity. The species of consciousness that we are as humans, since we have to use words, that particular species of consciousness has the capacity for reflection, inquiry, for self-awareness, for even questioning its own constructs. That is what makes us different from other species. But it's not enough. You know, it's not enough to, um, to have constructs that limit us. We have to um, go deep into our essential nature, which is pure consciousness, which is infinite uh, creativity. Uh, which is um, evolving um, at its own pace, but which we can accelerate. Where, yes, if we have to use a word, uh, then love would be the ultimate truth at the heart of creation. But love not as a sentiment or a emotion, love as the knowingness that there is only one in the deeper reality, that we are members of one body, members of one mind, and members of one consciousness, and that differentiation is not separation. Can you talk a little bit about your new book, You Are the Universe, Discovering Your Cosmic Self and Why It Matters? Why does it matter? The book was inspired by the fact that of the 125 questions, open questions in science, the first two are number one in order. The first question is, what is the universe made of? And the answer to that uh, is that um, um, almost impossible to answer. 96% of the universe is dark energy, dark matter. 4% is atomic. Of that, 99.99% is invisible interstellar dust. So the visible universe, which we are now told is 2.22, over 2 trillion galaxies, 760 stars, and uncountable trillions of planets, uh, is 0.01%, and that is atomic. But atoms are made of particles. Particles are also waves of possibility, and what uh, people call quantum fluctuations are just um, um, impermanent transient, evanescent uh, appearance of energetic particles out of nothing. So the, big, the only sensible answer to what is the universe made of is that it's made of nothing. The second most important question in science today, uh, open question, is what is the nature of consciousness? And it's called the heart problem of consciousness. Uh, no matter how you look at the brain, you cannot explain uh, how um, a thought is produced or imagination or intention or insight or inspiration or creativity or even a perception. You can't explain how colorless photon going into your eyes uh, results in your experiencing the Milky Way galaxy or New York mm -hmm. City or, or your own body. 
so uh, and consciousness also uh, can't be seen or, or it's not something that you can uh, touch or taste or smell like the universe it's also made out of nothing so we have two big mysteries how does nothing appear as everything and how do we know that we know what we know or what we don't know how do we uh, there is existence we know there is existence we also know there's awareness of existence and neither of these questions can be answered through the scientific method so the book goes through all the big questions what happened before the big bang how did time emerge how did life begin uh, why is the universe so finely tuned for mind life consciousness what is um, the nature of evolution is it mechanistic and i i think we did a pretty good job of saying in the first nine chapters that all these questions are unanswerable by science unanswerable uh, you, know, you talk to scientists and they will they will of course get angry and they will say one day we'll find out but um, they don't answer the question who's the we that's going to find out and why so what we offer at the end of the book is a solution it first start from nothingness uh, consciousness is formless but it experiences itself as form and phenomena and the way it experiences itself as form and phenomena is um as subject and object of experience and actually if you go deep into the nature of experience it's what we call qualia qualia is a word which means quality so qualia is the quality of experience and the feeling of love is a qualia compassion is a qualia empathy is a qualia but so is anger so is resentment so is any experience is a qualia you know quanta are units of measurement qualia are units of experience any experience so, um the taste of red wine is a qualia or sexual orgasm is a qualia the, even though you think your body is a physical thing it's a bunch of perceptions which are qualia so once you start to the last three chapters are devoted to the nature of understanding reality taking consciousness as the fundamental ontological primitive and building a qualia vocabulary that can create a more peaceful just sustainable healthier joyful world and even get us beyond the usual constructs that constrain us which are the constructs of mind body universe and finally um if you do not fully understand the essential nature of yourself is formless dimensionless infinite without cause infinitely creative with infinite potentiality it's the immeasurable potential of all that was all that is all that will be then you can liberate yourself into total freedom to create whatever you want and that may not happen um maybe in my lifetime uh, as this present body mind but if we survive it'll happen humans will evolve into uh, a much more magnificent species for those living um 
living their lives, uh, striving to awaken to this higher level of real realization. Um, how does this idea of timeless, timelessness, formlessness, consciousness reshape our understanding of suffering? What is it then to suffer or does suffering have meaning in a world where we are experiencing such um, profound change? Yes, suffering has the following five original causes. Number one, not knowing your true self. Um, number two, grasping at um, that which cannot be grasped. Let me ask you something. Where is yesterday? I guess it only exists in memory. Yeah, but as an experience, it's gone, right? Yes, it's in the past. Yeah. Five minutes ago is gone. Two minutes ago is gone. One minute ago is gone. One second ago is gone. Experience is ungraspable. The past is ungraspable. The future is ungraspable. And the present what you call now as a moment of time is ungraspable. By the time you hear the end of my sentence, the first part of my sentence is already gone. So all experience is evanescent and ungraspable. Your body is an experience and it's not the same in every, in, in every moment of now. In fact, even now is not a moment in time. So your body is ungraspable, your emotions are ungraspable. Nothing that we call experience is graspable. So when people try to grasp onto experience instead of turning to who or what is having the experience, they suffer. Then that creates the fear of impermanence, that creates the hallucination of the ego, and that creates the fear of death. So everybody's out to look out for their ego self, which is a hallucination to begin with. So suffering can only, um, you know, do animals suffer? I'm sure they suffer if you, if you, if you um, mistreat them, but they don't have existential suffering. You know, they don't wonder about death and they don't wonder about God and they don't wonder about what is morally right or what is morally wrong. So, uh, you know, the fall from grace is precisely this, that the knowledge of good and evil is precisely this, that we have uh, the capacity to understand and we also have the capacity to be anguished about an understanding that uh, um, that creates fear because uh, we are um, so conditioned by centuries of uh, of um, thought. So suffering is very real and we have inflicted it upon the planet and we have inflicted it to each other and we have inflicted it to other sentient beings. And the privilege we have is that we can actually repair all of that if we collectively embark. Now, if you want to make it very simple, then, you know, yoga, the way it's defined originally, the yoga of reflection, the yoga of meditation, the yoga of um, self-awareness, the yoga of love, the yoga of, um, since you're a student of Buddhism, the Eightfold Path, I 
think of that as the yoga. And the mm-hmm. yoga of right action, which means uh, above all, just make sure that every thought, every word, every action comes from a deep uh, sense of love. Uh, that would be the simplest way to cure suffering, to make sure you're motivated only by love. But love has to also be combined with the experience of deep um, stillness, silence, um, lack of uh, analytical thought. You know what Rumi said, uh, God's language is silence, everything else is poor translation. The ability to sit still and just be is is a requirement and then love in action from there love in action from um, being settled in in the uh, experience of being rather than thinking so the sequence is being feeling reflecting speaking and doing that would be the right unfoldment being feeling, feeling love, compassion, joy, empathy, equanimity, the reflecting, no dogmatic thinking, and um, uh, living these questions, and then speaking only when necessary and only when helpful, and then doing what needs to be done and leaving the results to the unknown. That would be yoga. That's the true meaning of yoga, which means union. Dr. Chopra, how can um, those among us who are on this path or have, have touched the truth of your words, either momentarily or perhaps you know profoundly in their lives, um, what can they do, what can we do to help advance this collective awakening um, in time I think, um, first of all, uh, focus on your own awakening, and there's nothing more important than that. Uh, Otherwise, uh, you know, what uh, Wittgenstein said, our life is a dream, we are asleep, but once in a while we wake up enough to know that we're dreaming. People have to recognize that they're never present to being. And so start with that, and then um, just, uh, you know, they say there are three things, seva, service, satsang, uh, sangha, which means um, hanging out with the right people, creating your own community, sangha, and then simran, which means remembering your true self, your nature. So seva, satsang, and simran. Thank you for those beautiful words. You've given such hope to millions of people in your inspiring career. Thank you for your service, Dr. Chopra, and thank you for sharing with us today on Cosmos Live. Thank you very much. You're listening to Cosmos Live, a production of Cosmos Journal, dedicated to transformation of self, communities, institutions, and planet in harmony with all life. You can subscribe at www.cosmosjournal.org.